chapter 1. Can you give and turn at the same time? I believe you can. Amen. James chapter 1. So I've had a few people um, that have asked, uh, thinking that this Sunday was the first Sunday. It's not. It's the 31st. There's five Sundays in, uh, in March. And so um, I, to be honest with you, a couple of weeks back, I was thinking that it was as well. So um, our first Sunday communion time together will not be until a week from this Sunday. We're still going to have a good time this Sunday. And um, I just ask you to be in prayer about, you know, always, obviously, but I'm, I'm, not, I'm not here to be comfortable. You understand what I'm saying? It's not like, you know, it's making me uncomfortable, you know, but some of the things that we're talking about are not, um, not the easiest things to preach. And um, we started a series on Sunday, just, we've entitled it, Does Jesus Offend You? Amen. <laughs> and... Um, what the Lord is showing me is that he offends a lot of people who don't realize they're offended by him yet. But he's going to help us see it. Amen. But that's for another night. Amen. That's for another day. Let's, um, let's go to James chapter 1 and verse number 6. I've been talking about a review and I, I feel led tonight to do that review. And so um, we'll begin with these verses. It says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. The context of this verse is asking God for wisdom and asking Him for wisdom by faith. And he says that we should ask for wisdom and faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive wisdom. Is that what it says? No, receive anything, wisdom or, or anything else from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. So while the context is a prayer request for wisdom, the principle applied to that prayer is universal. Is universal. That's why we see things like whatsoever a man says, whatever you ask. It's the principles of faith apply um, to whatever the context, whatever the situation, whatever the need um, may be. All right, so let's do this tonight. We started this about three weeks ago and only got to like two points and wound up springboarding off and some other things. So we're going to try to get through all this tonight before we Look at some new stuff. First thing I want to remind you of tonight is that God's ways are the ways of faith. And um, I think it's pretty well known that I, I really enjoy Keith Moore as a Bible teacher and preacher. And, and um, he has a faith school on his website. And when he began preparing the curriculum for that faith school, he set out to to, to begin with what faith is. But the Lord told him, he said, that's not where you need to begin. You need to begin with why faith, not what faith is. Before you tell them what it is, you need to tell them why. And the simple answer to that is, is what we're saying right now. God's ways are the ways of faith. You know, if we were to go to another country, and I've 
travel very little um, in my 52 years, but you know, they don't do things in other countries the way we do them here. And some of that makes sense and some of it doesn't, but if you're there, you better do it the way they do it or you'll be in trouble, right? And so we think maybe this is unreasonable that, you know, who does God think he is, all this stuff. Well, listen, he, he was here before us, right? I mean, he, and his ways are the are best. And so even if the ways of faith are foreign to us, um, it's not for him to align with us, it's for us to align with him. So God's ways are the ways of faith. Then we've talked about faith is how you receive from Father God. Faith is how you receive from Father God. But the bigger picture is you were created to live by faith. You were created to live by faith. And you were created to solve problems by faith. Okay, you were created to solve problems by faith. That's really important right there because how we respond when we're facing or dealing with a problem says a lot about you know, where our heart is, what we're thinking, you know, where we turn, these kinds of things. Um, and ultimately, you know, let me say it another way. When Father envisioned you, he envisioned you solving problems by faith. It's his ways. All right, let's keep reviewing here. Um, we said that faith sets you free from depending on this world system and its limitations. Faith sets you free from depending on this world system and its limitations. And by the way, that world system is ruled over by the devil. Jesus made that very clear to us. Matter of fact, he even referred to the devil as the ruler of this world. But faith, see, makes you a threat to Satan because by operating in faith, you're no longer dependent upon this world system. And all the things that are impossible with men. So the Bible tells us in 1 John 5 that faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Jesus said in John 16, 33, in this world you're going to have some problems. You're going to have some, some trouble, some difficulty. But to be of good cheer that he's overcome the world. And then he did what? He gave us the victory that he fought and won on our behalf. So faith is the victory that overcomes not just the problems that come from this world, but it overcomes this world and everything that's in it. We could even say this world's system, which is corrupt and limited. We've also looked at how doubt neutralizes the force of faith. Doubt neutralizes the force of faith. And we could have looked at so many passages tonight, things that we've looked at, again, that we're just kind of hitting the highlights of in this review time. But we see on all the major instructions, all the major teachings that were given on faith, we're always warned about doubt. If you believe in your heart, if you do not doubt in your heart, but believe in your heart, because we see that 
the force of faith can overcome anything in this world, but something as simple, we could say, I guess, as simple as doubt can neutralize the force of faith. So much so, the Bible says the one who doubts should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. That's pretty harsh right there, I guess, but it's, we need to know it. If it's true, we need to know it, and it's true. It's in the Word of God. The one who doubts should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. All right, so continuing the review. The one who does not doubt can speak to mountains, problems, and those mountains and problems will obey him. Satan's strategy against faith involves producing a counterfeit that so resembles the real thing very few can tell the difference. Now, this is kind of, again, zeroing in on, on where we've been, I guess, for the better part of this year so far. The Bible talks about a genuine faith. It also talks about a feigned faith, a simulated faith, a pretend faith. If something is simulated, it... Think simulated leather, you know, has, has the look, the feel, the smell, it has all the characteristics, except for it's, it's not real. It's so close to being real, but at the same time, it's not. And so when we, I think, talk about pretend faith, simulated faith, faith that's not real, sometimes we think of just some junk, you know, that, no, 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 see, like, you got fake diamonds and then you got fake diamonds that only an expert can tell the difference between one that's fake and one that's not. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, there's ones that anybody, kid not, it's not real, you know. But then there's other ones you're like, man, I can't tell if that's real or not. So when we're talking about a counterfeit. We're talking about, you know, what the, what the devil tries to, to, to deceive us into thinking is faith in our lives. It's something that's very difficult um, to tell the difference because it seems so much like what real faith is. It has so many characteristics of genuine faith. I believe when Jesus talked about in the Word how in the last days, you know, even the very elect could be deceived. I don't think he's talking about people bowing down and worshiping the devil. I think he's talking about things like this, where the devil has so crafted and so manipulated things to where they seem so much like the genuine that apart from the Holy Spirit helping us and pointing it out to us, we'll be deceived by it. Okay. So Satan's strategy against faith is to produce a counterfeit that so resembles the real thing, very few can tell the difference. A counterfeit that has hidden doubt built into it. We, taught, we, we used several sermons ago, we were talking about the Trojan horse. And this thing called probability, this, this counterfeit that the devil offers to us, it's a Trojan horse filled with doubt. In other words, it, it comes to us as a friend. It comes to us as, as providing mental comfort and and helping us sleep at night and, 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 and these things. But, but it contains within it 
doubt that ultimately neutralizes genuine faith. And so again, reviewing, I call that counterfeit probability. You may also know it as chance or luck. Father spoke to my heart and said his children are trusting in probability instead of his ability. And he said to us, do not trade your birthright of faith for the red soup of probability. Again, reminding us there's a way that seems right, but it leads to destruction. One of my favorite Keith Moore quotes, he said, if you knew you were deceived, you wouldn't be. If you knew you were deceived, you wouldn't be. That's why we have to stay humble. We have to stay teachable. One of my life verses, if any man thinks he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know it. As is the case with so many important things in our lives, if we're not careful, what we already know about that subject will keep us from learning what we need to know. Thank God for what we know about faith. Thank God for what we've learned about these things. But don't let what you've already learned about these things give you the false impression that you've become a Jedi or you know master at it and, and somehow don't need to learn anymore. I believe we've but scratched the surface on these things. So there's a way that seems right, but it leads to destruction. Then we talked about this word probable. Probable, the root word of probability, likely to occur or prove true. Having more evidence for than against, or evidence that inclines the mind to belief, but leaves some room for doubt. Notice how it can get you so close and because there's a really good chance it's going to work out in your favor, it can give you that false sense of security. But because of what it is and how it works, there will always be some room for doubt in this counterfeit. And doubt does what to the force of faith that neutralizes it? Now, with that in mind, last two weeks we've talked about our Creator Father, how He's a God of precision, purpose, order, meaning. How He created the earth and us in it and said it was very good. The question we've been trying to answer is what happened? Because now we see that there is randomness, there is haphazardness, accidents, incidents, what people call coincidences, flukes. And so we've got all these sayings. I'm not going to go back over that whole list, but all kinds of sayings. And listen, now, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you kind of want to you know, get a handle on, on where you are, where people are, just listen to what they're saying. And, and when we're saying all these things like, um, you know, you just never know. See, we're trying to, to cope with, we're trying to deal with the randomness that's in our world. The Lord uh, spoke to my heart. I was either this morning or I think it was yesterday morning. Anyway, here, here's another one. Are you, are you ready for this one? We, we haven't mentioned this one yet, right? People say this all the time. 
There's no guarantees in life. You ever heard that one? There's no guarantees in life. People say those with such conviction and such passion, you think they're quoting a Bible verse. My friend, God didn't create us to live a life based on saying there's no guarantees in life. Let me, let me hold up a whole book full of guarantees in life. There are guarantees in life. They're guaranteed by the word of our creator and the blood of the lamb, written in blood. Amen. See, again, we, we all know that there's, there's randomness. We all know that there's, there's things that, that happen. And we talked about how the floods would ruin a, a farmer's crops or a tornado would you know, tear up somebody's house or, you know, th th these kinds of things. And, and so the world just looks at it as, as being random things. But we know that this is because of the curse and it's not, it's not the finger of God. It's not something that God purposed or ordained. It, it's here because, and the Bible makes it very clear, because of Adam's sin, it's in Psalm 82, it says the world's coming unglued. In Colossians, the Bible literally, when it speaks of Jesus being that which holds all things together, the literal translation is he's the glue that holds all things together. Hebrews 1 talks about him being the glue or the, that force of his, the word of his power that, that propels and sustains and creates and maintains and all these things. Uh, with, with the universe, I mean, it, it's all, you know, so crystal clear. I, I used this example one time, right? If, if, um, if you have a model car that's, that's all glued together, if, if the glue somehow all evaporated out of it, the model car is going to fall apart. And if Jesus is the glue that's holding this world together and this world keeps pushing him out, Right? I'm telling you, you, should Jesus tarry and, you know, 3,000 years from now, somebody is studying this civilization that was once called the United States of America. Those folks are studying and looking at the, the statistics. They're going to look at a very sharp downward turn in our world, in our, in our nation to the point that they're going to look around and say, what in the world happened during these years? And again, if their research is worth their salt, they're going to find out that's when we took God out of schools. When we took prayer out of schools. I was in second grade. I'm not, I'm not being trying to be political tonight. I'm just telling you, we prayed every morning for ourselves, for our teachers, for our families, for our government, right? We had this little prayer that we prayed right in school every morning. All those children praying that prayer. Look at what's happened to education. Look at what's happened to the family. Look at what's happened to the government. Look at what's happened to, I mean, again. He's the glue that holds it together. If we, if we push out the glue, things are going to fall apart. So the curse came because of Adam, and with it, randomness, chaos, accidents, flukes, haphazardness, etc. There's not any of that in heaven. There wasn't any of that in the garden before, this, before sin. And there won't be any of it in heaven. Now Satan took advantage 
of the situation when Adam sinned caused a curse which caused the randomness chaos, all these things we've been talking about. Are you still with me tonight? Satan took advantage of the situation to try and neutralize the very thing which makes you a tremendous threat to him. That's faith. As we've already said, faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Jesus identified Satan as the ruler of this world. Now, turn with me to Genesis, the fourth chapter. We can't, we can't put this whole thing off on Cain because what we see in Cain began in his mama and his daddy, Adam and Eve. When they chose to take their chances and eat the fruit that God told them not to eat. And he said, when you eat it, you'll die. So they decided to take the chance, right? That's probability. They decided that they were going to roll the dice. They decided they were just going to see what would happen. So that, if you want to identify on a timeline where probability-based thinking, probability-based thinking, chance-based, luck-based thinking began, it was with that one choice made by Adam and Eve. But the enemy always wants to take what begins in one generation and try to compound it in the next generation. Pam's pointed out over the years, you know, how social drinkers don't, always raise social drinkers. We've known a lot of folks who had parents who were social drinkers, but when mom and daddy were at work, the kids would start getting into the alcohol at a young age before they were able to handle it. Next thing you know, it opens the door to addiction in their lives. That's the enemy's work, right? That's how he tries to take the mistakes of one generation and compound them in the next generation. but for the grace of God. Amen. So we see in Genesis 4, let's begin at verse 3. It says, And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat, And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel his brother and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. Man. 
rose up against his brother and killed him. There's a lot here. I'm not going to try to tackle it all tonight. But when the Bible says the Lord did not respect Cain's offering, if you look that word up, respect, it just simply means that it did not please the Lord. The offering that Cain brought to the Lord did not please the Lord, which the Holy Spirit immediately fired off a verse in, in my heart, and that was Hebrews eleven six. What pleases the Lord? Anybody remember? Faith pleases the Lord. So if this offering didn't please the Lord, among other things, we know that it was not an offering of faith. If it had been an offering of faith, it would have pleased the Lord. The Lord is pleased by faith. There was no faith in this offering that Cain brought. And therefore, it did not please the Lord and he did not accept it. Now, we also see in that same chapter of Hebrews, I'll put this one up on the 11.6, as without faith it's impossible to please him, but Hebrews 11.4, it says, By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it he being dead still speaks. Lots of important words in this verse, but that word, um, a more excellent sacrifice. Again, if you look at what this word excellent or excellence means, it, it means that Abel gave God his very best. He didn't keep the best for himself. He gave his best to God. Which again was an offering of faith. Because a herdsman... A shepherd, someone that's raising livestock, they keep the very best of the livestock to breed because they want that bloodline, that, those genetics, that kind of DNA, you know, to build upon. This, we sat at the table with a, a couple at the minister's conference this year, and I was telling him about my grandson. He was telling me about his horse. And... Um, He's got a horse that the Lord really, really blessed him with. And um, I mean, it's, I don't want to exaggerate it. I don't recall exactly, but tens of thousands of dollars that people pay him to let his horse mate with their, with their horse. He's, he's a champion horse. So it would be like taking the triple crown winner and cutting its throat. See, you see what I'm saying? That's, that this, this would you know, be some way to try to, in our day and age, to understand exactly what it was that Abel did. Because he was saying through that offering, through that sacrifice to God, I'm not going to take my chances in this world. I'm not going to rest in trust in my ability, which if, if you're trusting in your own ability, what you're really doing is trusting in probability because there's things that you can't control. Come on now. So if you're trusting in your ability, that's just an, another way of saying 
you're taking your own chances. You're taking it in your own hands. And because we live in a world where all kinds of random things happen that you can't control, you have been deceived again to put your faith in probability. And so Abel said, no, no, I'm not going to trust in my ability. I'm not going to trust in my wisdom. I'm not going to trust in my good looks. I'm not going to trust in my smarts and my intellect, all these other things. Um, I'm giving my best to God as an expression of my faith in Him to protect me from the curse that's in this world, to protect me from the random things that happen. So let's go back. I know I'm about out of time, but let me just a few more minutes. You're okay? So Abel then, just to compare these two, Abel chose the ways of faith, but Cain chose the ways of chance. Abel put his faith in God's ability, but Cain put his faith in probability. Abel went with his heart, but Cain went with his head. That's important right there. When we talk about probable, likely to occur or prove true, having more evidence for than against, or evidence that inclines the mind to belief but leaves some reason for doubt. Notice, all of what we're talking about right there is something that takes place in our brain, in our mind. Are you seeing this? The Bible says, with the heart man believes. With the heart one believes. We were created by God to live from our hearts. Let me come down there with you. I know it's a little late in the evening for me to be coming down these steps, but let me just get here with you for a minute. We were created by God to live from our hearts, but when Adam and Eve sinned, we lost our heart connection with God. which left us severely handicapped and looking for some way to compensate, some way to make up the difference. I've used this example before, but let's say someone used, loses their sense of sight. They try to compensate for that by learning how to read with their sense of touch, reading Braille. Someone loses their ability to hear, so they try to compensate for that by substituting another sense. They learn, they learn to read lips. They learn to listen with their eyes. Are you, are you seeing what I'm, what I'm saying? So I'm offering to you tonight that the same thing happened in response to our, our losing our heart connection with God, the way that we were created and intended by God to live, and to compensate for the loss of that connection, we substituted our brain in place of our heart. Last Wednesday night sermon was entitled, The Probability Trap. 
This was the trap that the enemy set for us. He was banking on us. Moving the operation of our lives, the headquarters of operation for our lives, moving it from our heart to our head. Because the moment we do that, we just moved away from faith and we moved into this broken system of probability. Because your brain is an organ of survival, your brain was created by God, fearfully and wonderfully made, and its main purpose is to keep you alive. Your brain remembers to do things for you that you would, it, it, I mean, it's automatic, I mean, it's just amazing. I'm not here to try to go into all that tonight. But the bottom line of it is this, because your brain is primarily a survival organ, anything to do with faith seems risky. Anything to do with faith, your brain tries to override it. Tithing is an example. Your heart, you say, I need to pay my tithes. It's right. It's right before God, right? But your brain is saying, dude, you can't make it on 100% of your income. What makes you think you're going to make it on 90%? Or your brain says something like, well, look, okay, if you're going to do that, but just wait to the end of the month to make sure you still got it. You see, in other words, notice, again, don't get mad at your brain. Your brain's just doing its job. It's trying to protect you. It's trying to insulate you from risk. It's trying to... To, to keep you in, in, a, in a place, you know, where you've got what you need and, and safe and all that. But see, again, you were never meant to be ruled. You were never meant to be led. You were never meant to be dominated by your brain. It was meant to serve you. Your heart was meant to rule you. Or God ruling your heart and ruling your life through your heart. Are you following what I'm saying? So do you see how this trap was set when Adam and Eve sinned? And, and separated themselves from God. They no longer have that spirit union um, inside of them with God, but they've got to try to now survive. And, and so the brain is good at surviving, okay? Um, but what we see in all of this is, is slowly but surely we move further and further away from faith and more and more into this system of probability. That's exactly what happened to Cain. I want you to think about this. You think if you had asked Cain before he killed Abel, do you think if you were to ask him, Cain, do you have faith in God? Do you think he would have, how do you think he would answer that question? I believe he would have laughed at you and said, absolutely, I just talked to him. Are you kidding me? We, we, he was having face-to-face -face conversations with God. Were you really going to ask if this man believes in God? Are you seeing what I'm saying? This idea that he didn't believe in God. No, no, see. What got him? What, what messed him up? It wasn't so much a lack of faith as it was the presence of of doubt which came from probability thinking. It went something like this. God's got everything he needs. I think I'm going to keep my best for myself. 
hedge my bets. Right, see? Keep my best fruit. I'm not going to eat them. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, those beautiful tomatoes, they're not going in my salad. I'm, I'm, I'm going to dry them babies out and get to see because I want that, I want pretty tomatoes like that next year. Notice he's justifying it, not eating it for myself. This is, I'm sure he probably said something like, my family, I'm, I'm doing this for my family. You know, so, but again, he still gave God something. But it wasn't his best. So what he was really saying was, I'm going to try to play both systems at the same time. Also known as a double-minded man. Unstable in all his ways. How unstable? Killed his brother, that's pretty unstable, right? I'm not being funny when I say first bipolar diagnosis recorded on planet Earth, depressed and violently angry at the same time. Right? All because he moved out of his heart into his head. All because He was going to do it his way, but include God in it instead of doing it God's ways. You see what I'm saying? He, I said this last week. I'll say it again this week, and I'll pray. He, he was including God for luck, right? I mean, it's, we give God a little something here. I mean, can't hurt. But his confidence, his faith was not all in for God. It was... Slowly but surely moving out of trusting in God's ability to protect him and sustain him into his own ability. Now, the, what's that? The elephant in the room or whatever is like, well, where'd that get able? <laughs> you know, I mean, he had all his faith in God and he got murdered. Well, you ain't seen him in heaven yet. Amen. You, you, <laughs> you don't understand. Amen. God has more than a hundred-year plan for your life. Amen. Amen. Stand with me tonight. You get anything out of this? Hmm. So, Father, here we are standing before you. And, Lord, I, I can't speak for everyone. I feel like I can, but I'm, I'm no one else's judge. But you said if I judge myself, I wouldn't be judged. And Lord, I know that you've been showing me how I've been double-minded when it comes to faith and probability. I've been double-minded when it comes to knowing you, believing in you, praying, speaking your word, but also playing the odds and what are my chances and my mind trying to operate in that way and in that realm as well. Lord, I thank you that becoming aware of it is more than half the battle, Lord, not being deceived by it, not being hidden in our lives anymore, more than half the battle. And I thank you, Father, that you're bringing it to our attention. Lord, if it's, if it's nothing more than some of these things that we say, like in life there's no guarantees, you never know um, what's going to happen, you know, all these things that we never know about God, just know all these things that we say, Lord, if, if we would just begin to 
to recognize how this probability-based thinking even is affecting and, and manifesting, re being revealed in what we say. Knocking on wood, superstitions, good luck, all these things. Father, help us. Help us, Lord, identify those things and eliminate them from our lives. Cast down those thoughts and that wrong thinking so that your faith, the faith that you've given us, the God kind of faith, can flourish in our lives. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for being here, for giving God, our Heavenly Father, this place in your life during this, I don't know, hour and 15 minutes, whatever it was. You be blessed. Good things coming.